It was a brisk spring day several years ago. I was walking out through the parking lot next to my apartment building when I first glimpsed this hot pink slip of paper on my windshield. I was annoyed. <laughs> More advertising, I thought. More trash. As I got closer, I puzzled at it, realizing it was not a flyer for a new pizza place or a car wash. It was just a post-it note. I plucked it from the glass and I read. It said, it's hard to beat a person who never gives up. It was signed in loopy script. Love from a fellow human. Huh, I thought. I had no idea who had put it there. It's hard to beat a person who never gives up. It was odd and unexpected and kind of wonderful. <laughs> I stuck it in my pocket and its memory has stuck with me through the seasons. We've moved into Lent again, itself, this, this season, this strange step outside our normal flow of time. And predictably, our readings are rife with talk about temptation. First, we stumble into the story of Genesis, so often given as the reason behind so-called original sin, or the long-standing separation between humans and God. Eve is tempted, Adam is tricked, and they foolishly, if pretty understandably, eat the apple. And then in Matthew's Gospel, we hear about attempts to lure Jesus astray by the possibility of food and of protection and of power and fame in both instances, though, I don't think it's really about the stuff. It's not about the apple or the knowledge. It's not about the would-be stones turned bread or the power over all the world. Those are tools to another end. The tempter, or the evil one, or Satan, however you want to name this force for destruction, he's trying to call into question the fundamental identity of these people. With Adam and Eve, the serpent sows seeds of doubt, urging them to question if maybe God has been holding back on them, if God can really be trusted and if they have enough, if they are enough. With Jesus, the tempter repeatedly challenges his identity. If you are really the Son of God, prove it. Prove what you can do. Prove that God is there for you. Jesus, though, Jesus knows who he is. He's come straight from his baptism into the wilderness, the, the words still echoing in his ears that he is beloved of God. 
He chooses trust over proof, rooting himself in this most basic identity. This temptation for more, for always more, it depends on the assumption that there is not enough. Not enough in the world, not enough in ourselves, not enough in our connection between each other and with God. The tempter relies on this sense of scarcity to turn us towards these lies. The theologian Henry Nouwen works with these ideas. He suggests that our real temptation centers on three lies we are told and often believe about ourselves. I am what I have. I am what I do. And I am what other people think or say about me. We see these lies emerging in different ways in both stories. Possessions, accomplishments, accolades, and power. The assertion that we are not enough. These Lies are insidious. They are so common that most of us take them in and operate from them an awful lot of the time. So what then? Back to that mysterious post-it note. A few weeks after I found it, I, I saw another one with a different quote elsewhere in my neighborhood. And then eventually, some time later, I, I happened to run into a friend. And I saw that she had several post-it notes in her hand and learned that, indeed, she was responsible for them. Jen. Jen explained that right around the last presidential election, she was feeling shaken and dismayed by what was happening all around us. Turmoil and division, and, and it seemed like so often we were seeing the very worst of humanity, no matter anyone's political affiliation. It seemed like there was not very much that one person could do. And so on November 9th, 2016, the day after the election, I think more or less on a whim, Jen wrote a sentence on an old piece of stationery. A quote. Whatever you are, be a good one. <laughs> Abe Lincoln, responding across time to our 21st century angst. Jen wrote this sentence on three more cards, signing them all love from a fellow human, and stuck them on windshields around her neighborhood. A small act of resistance to the fear-mongering that had grown so pervasive. A little nod among strangers that there was good, that we were still in this together. 
She did it again the next day with a different quote, and then again the next. And she kept going. Jen worked her way through all her odds and ends of old stationery until she ran out and then switched to these post-it notes, which added a wonderful new versatility to her little rebellion of hope. Easy to stick anywhere on BART or at the Children's Museum or wherever she happened to be. She's shared out a couple thousand of these now. The pervasive temptations in these readings and in our lives, they all hinge on the false notion that we have to do something, that we have to be something to matter, to be worthy of love and connection and care. But this is a lie. Jesus shows us another way, one of connecting more deeply with who and whose we are. I saw that happening communally in Jen's notes, even as they weren't overtly religious. It was all anonymous. She didn't do it to impress or to be thanked, but just to introduce a little more hope into the world. And she wasn't just refuting these lies about herself by writing these notes, insisting that even in this small way she had a voice, an agency, she could remain tethered to hope. She was also offering this as a rebuttal to all the lies her neighbors heard, though she would never meet most of these people. And still... She trusted that these neighbors were good, that they were beloved, that they needed hope as much as the next person, that they, too, needed the encouragement that whatever they were, they could be a good one. There are as many ways to practice this bold rejection of temptation as there are people present here. Countless ways to enact this truth-telling and strengthen these muscles of hope and trust. And we don't have to go anywhere to be in the wilderness. If our eyes are open... Most of the time, we're already there. The question, the question is how we will respond when we encounter these false claims that there is not enough, that we are not enough. How will we hold on to the truth of who we are, which is beloved of God, and live from that center? There is this invitation before us to settle into the wilderness, these 40 days and beyond, and practice watching and listening for something more beautiful, more true than the tempter's lies. If we open ourselves to really listen, even in the silence, 
we may hear that still, small voice reminding us, ultimately, of who and whose we are.